Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. The title of my message today is The Trials and Triumphs at Smyrna. The message is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Smyrna was the ancient city of the modern Turkish city of Izmir. Smyrna was said to be one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. It was located on a gulf of the Aegean Sea and it had an excellent harbour. The city enjoyed a thriving economy. Its origins actually were said to be lost in antiquity, but Smyrna may have been settled as early as 3000 BC. Smyrna was a staunch ally of Rome. In fact, its citizens were so infatuated with Rome that in 195 BC they built a temple in which Rome was worshipped. The story is told of a Roman general whose army was not prepared for the bitter cold winter. And when their plight or the plight of the soldiers was made known in Smyrna, the citizens of Smyrna took their own clothes off and gave it to the soldiers. Rome rewarded Smyrna for their kindness by choosing it above other cities as the place to build a new temple dedicated to Emperor Tiberius in AD 26. At either end of the main street of Smyrna, which was called the Street of Gold, there were two temples. One temple was dedicated to the worship of the Greek goddess Cybele, the mother goddess of wild nature and and healing and fertility. You'll see her with a lion or being drawn along in a chariot with two lions pulling it. Um, She was on one end, Cybele, the temple of Cybele was on one end, and on the other end was a temple dedicated to the worship of Zeus. In between these two temples dedicated to Cybele and to Zeus were other temples um, dedicated to Apollo or Asclepius, the Greek god of medicine. We, we know that symbol today with the snake on the pole. Asclepius always had a pole holding a pole with a, a, a serpent wrapped around the pole. He was the god of medicine. And of course, there was the god Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love and beauty and pleasure and passion and procreation. The scriptures do not record the founding of the church at Smyrna. Neither is the city mentioned in the book of Acts. All we know about this congregation is contained in this letter in chapter 2, verses 8, 3, 11, those four short verses. We can assume that the church was probably planted there in Smyrna during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, either by Paul or by one of his converts. We're told in in Acts chapter 19 that Paul daily reasoned um, in the school of Tyrannius. And we're told there in chapter 19 verse 10 that this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So probably one of Paul's converts took the gospel um, to Smyrna and planted the church there. In Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 we read, And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. 
and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So we see in the first place the Lord's correspondence to his persecuted church. The Lord's correspondence to his persecuted church. Verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. Now, it's important to remember again that the angel here to the church at Smyrna was a messenger, an elder, or perhaps the pastor. The Greek word for angel is the same as messenger. Although angel can refer to angels in the sense of angelic beings, and it does throughout Revelation, here it must mean messenger or elder or pastor because angels are never leaders of the church. And here it's to the angel of the church of Smyrna, a leader in the church, so we know that it must be a messenger or perhaps an elder or perhaps the pastor. Most likely... These seven angels that we read about in these letters are seven key messengers in these churches. Now, we know who the key elder or pastor was at Smyrna. He was a man called Polycarp, who was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. Polycarp was soon to become a martyr who would be burned at the stake for his unbending faith in Christ. These words, the the words of the first and last who died and came to life must have been extremely encouraging to Polycarp and the congregation of believers in Smyrna. The title, the first and the last, is the Old Testament title of God that we find in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6, where it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. When the Lord Jesus applied this to himself, he was affirming his equality in nature with God. The Lord Jesus is eternal, infinite God who existed before the foundations of the world and before the foundations of the universe, and he'll continue to exist after it's all destroyed for all eternity. He is the God who transcends time and space and creation. But here in this letter, the Lord Jesus also explains to the church of Smyrna that he died and came to life. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This description of himself would have brought immense comfort to the persecuted believers at Smyrna. During difficult times, as they were persecuted for their commitment to the truth of God's word, which would ultimately lead to some of them being executed, the Lord Jesus was right there beside them. He was the one who himself conquered death. He's the one who promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives 
and believes in me shall never die. The Lord Jesus is the one who is the first and the last who died and came to life. He is the compassionate one, the understanding one who brings comfort and encouragement to this persecuted group of believers and in Smyrna and to persecuted believers all over the world. The Lord's correspondence to his persecuted church. But we see in the second place the Lord's commendation to his persecuted church, the Lord's commendation to his persecuted church. In verse 9, the Lord Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Lord starts his commendation by saying, I know, I know. There are two words in Greek for the word know. There's the word gnosko, which means just to know in just the ordinary sense. But there's also the word oida, and that's the word that's used here. This word emphasizes the absolute clearness of mental vision, which photographs all the facts of life as they pass. That comes from A.T. Robinson and his word pictures of the New Testament. We can take great comfort from knowing that with the Lord Jesus, nothing escapes his vision. Nothing escapes his vision. And and you can imagine how the persecuted church at Smyrna must have felt as, as those words were read out there in that Sunday morning. The Lord Jesus knows every detail of the churches under his care. But we see first the Lord knew they were suffering under pressure. The Lord knew they were suffering under pressure. I know your tribulation, Jesus says. The word tribulation there literally means pressure and is the common word for tribulation or persecution. These believers at Smyrna were facing immense pressure because of their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Life was made difficult for them because the citizens of Smyrna were fanatical about devotion to to worshipping Rome and to worshipping the emperor cult. They were fanatical about it. Emperor Domitian demanded that all subjects of Rome bow down to him in worship, and the citizens of Smyrna willingly obeyed. Now the believers at Smyrna, the, the small church at Smyrna, willingly submitted to the emperor's civil authority, but they would re, they refused to worship and sacrifice to him. And so they were persecuted because they wouldn't bow down and burn incense in the temple dedicated to Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. And as a result, the Christians were branded rebels uh, and faced the Roman wrath. The Christians also refused to participate in the pagan religions of Smyrna. There was this eclectic mix of temples uh, to their gods, including Zeus and Apollo and Eclepius and Aphrodite and Cybele, as well as the worship of Rome and, and the compulsory worship of the emperor. Pagan worship affected every part of, of moral, ethical and social life. The Christians rejected these pagan gods and they worshipped the invisible God, the one true God. And so the Town folks believed that they were atheists because they didn't actually have an idol or a, an image of God. Because much of the social life 
of the town revolved around pagan worship, the Christians were seen to be antisocial. This placed immense pressure on the Christians from every angle. They suffered under pressure. But the Lord also knew that they suffered through poverty. Verse 9, I know your poverty. Not only was the Lord aware of the pressure that these believers were under, but he also knew about their poverty. The word poverty here describes those who are the poorest of the poor. It's a word that describes beggars or those who can only survive on the alms of others. Many of the believers at Smyrna were slaves. Most were destitute. Any believer who owned any possessions probably lost them through this time of severe persecution. The church of Smyrna had every reason from a human perspective to buckle under pressure and give up the fight, but not this church. They didn't give up. Unlike the believers at Ephesus who had abandoned their first love for the Lord Jesus Christ, these poor destitute believers in Smyrna never left their first love for the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. What really mattered to these believers was not what they owned or the numbers of programs that they ran as a, as a congregation or the number of ministries that they could boast about or, or, or the numbers that they had in attendance. That's not what mattered to them. What really mattered was their rich faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their, their, their salvation in Christ, their, the peace and joy that Christ brought them, the, their holiness of character and that the Lord Jesus Christ was their saviour and comforter. The believers at Smyrna were, were materially poor, but they were spiritually rich in Christ, as opposed to those who came from Laodicea, who were materially rich, but spiritually poor. I wonder if God would call us spiritually rich today. If he was to evaluate our churches or us as believers, individual believers, would he say that we are spiritually rich regardless of whether we had money or not? Would that be his, his evaluation of us? Those Christians in Smyrna suffered through poverty. The Lord also knew that they suffered through persecution. He said, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The word slander here is the word blasphemy. Now, the word blasphemy is usually reserved to vile words or hostility against God. But in this context, it's used of the slander against believers by those who called themselves Jews. There was a large, thriving community of Jews in, in Smyrna who were hostile to the Christians in Smyrna and, and probably very hostile to those Jews who had become believers in the Lord Jesus. The Jews commonly accused Christians of, of things like cannibalism based on a misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper. They accused Christians of immorality based on the perversion of the holy kiss which believers greeted each other with. Christians were accused of breaking up homes when conflict occurred because one spouse became a believer in Christ and sometimes it would end in separation of the couple. Christians were also 
accused of atheism and, and political disloyalty and rebellion. And these Jews at Smyrna would report these false allegations to the Roman authorities in an effort to destroy the Christian faith. The Lord Jesus says that their claim to be Jews was false. They were not Jews at all. These Jews not only disbelieved in the Messiah, but they actively persecuted those who did believe. And when they were persecuting the believers, they were actually persecuting Christ himself. Remember that believers are members of the body of Christ, who is the head. When one member of the body is persecuted, it affects the whole body, including the head, who is Christ. And even though these Jews were descendants of Abraham, the Lord Jesus said that they were not Jews at all. They rejected and opposed Christ. The Lord also accused them from being a synagogue of Satan. Satan being the ultimate blasphemer. That's a, actually a really shocking statement. It reveals that those Jews who hated and rejected Christ were just as much worshippers and followers of Satan as the pagan idol worshippers in Smyrna. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to the leaders in Jerusalem in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. These Jews who assembled together and planned their attack on the church were doing the work of Satan. They were the puppets being used by the puppeteer. And today, while we're not persecuted here in our country, uh, the way that these Christians were in, in Smyrna. The persecution takes a different form. It's more subtle. In our country, there are laws that are passed that contradict Scripture, making it illegal to bring ch children up according to biblical standards. It's a form of persecution. Well, we may not see it as many people don't see it as that, but it is. You can't bring your children up. You can't, you can't teach them certain things uh, because of what the laws say. It's a form of persecution. And the believers at Smyrna were suffering through persecution because of hatred of these satanically led Jews. The Lord's commendation of his church. But we see in the third place the Lord's counsel of his church. The Lord's counsel of his church. And we see in verses 10 and 11. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Notice there were no words of criticism or accusation given here in this letter to the congregation at Smyrna. They, they certainly didn't enjoy the approval of their fellow countrymen, but they certainly did receive the praise from God. There was no accusation. However, the Lord did give them a solemn warn, uh, a word of counsel as the believers faced increasing persecution and suffering. First, the Lord Jesus calms their fears. The Lord calms their fears. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. This comes in a form of a command, literally, stop being afraid. Now, it's natural for us to shrink from suffering. Nobody volunteers for suffering or for persecution or for torture. But the Lord 
ensured them that he would give them strength to, to endure through it. He, he also ensured them that he knew the devil's plans and, and was in complete knowledge of the situation. Some of the believers were going to be imprisoned and would be tried as traitors of Rome. But the Lord ensured them that their imprisonment would only be short. He says 10 days. We, we're not sure if that's 10 literal days or whether it just signifies a short period of time. All the Christians had to do, actually, to save their life from persecution was just to take a little pinch of incense and burn it. And all they had to say was, Kaiser Kyrios, Caesar is Lord. But history tells us few of any of these believers at Smyrna did that, even in exchange for their life. The Lord calms their fears. Second, the Lord crowns their faithfulness. The Lord crowns their faithfulness. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, in first century Rome, prison was not used as a corrective facility. Today, prisons are used in a way of uh, in the way of correcting wrong or correcting criminal acts. A person could be sentenced to prison for any amount of time, from a few days to weeks to months to years, or to life imprisonment, depending on how severe his or her criminal charge was. But in first century Rome, a prison was used to hold a prisoner until their trial and execution, or whatever that sentence handed out. That's why the Lord gave the command, do not fear what you're about to suffer. And they followed it immediately with, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. That's what happens when you went to prison. After you've been sentenced, you would be executed. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Corrie ten Boom, the, the Dutch woman who saved Jews from the Nazi Gestapo, recalled an incident in her childhood when she told her father, she said, Father, I'm afraid that I'll never be strong enough to die as a martyr. And her father replied, when you have to go on a journey, when do I give you the money? Two weeks before? No, Daddy, she replied. You'd give me the money on the day that I'm leaving. Precisely, her father said, and our wise Father in heaven knows when you're going to need things too. When the time comes to die, you'll find the strength you need just in time. Years later, Corrie was imprisoned in Ravensbrück, the infamous German prison camp where more than 50,000 women were murdered. She wrote, It is necessary when we prepare ourselves for the end time also to be prepared to die for Jesus. That actually comes from David Jeremiah's book, Escaping the Coming Night. For those who were about to face martyrdom out of loyalty for Christ, they were, they were going to be given the crown of life, Jesus said, and the crown of life would be given by the Lord Jesus himself. Those who, who lived in Smyrna would ha have been familiar with this picture of a crown. The crown would picture in their minds the laurel wreath that was worn by the winners of athletic games, or, or the crown could also refer to a garland of flowers usually worn by the worshippers of the 
pagan gods such as Cybele or Bacchus or Dionysius as he was known. The Lord reinforced the promise given in James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Because they had trusted him, they were overcomers. They were victors in the race of faith, and they had nothing to fear. And even though they were to be martyred for their faith in Christ, they would be ushered into the presence of God, into his glory, wearing crowns. That was their hope. They were promised that they would never, ever face the second death. And we know from Revelation chapter 12, 20, verse 14, and from 21, verse 8, that the second death is the lake of fire. And the Lord Jesus promised them that they would have the crown of life and they would escape and never face the second death. There's a cost involved in being a dedicated follower of Christ. In many places in the world, the cost is already very, very great. But as the end times get closer and pressure begins to increase, persecution will also increase and the people of God need to be ready. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, this is what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So that's the question this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Would the Lord Jesus say of you that uh, you're, although you're maybe poor, you're rich in faith and that you're spiritually rich? Would he say that of us today? Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hamilton.com hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.